What's up, guys? Today you're listening to Behind the Second Amendment on Government Wave Radio with JNA. Today we will be focusing on the Second Amendment. Everyone knows what the Second Amendment is, but for those of you who don't know, listen up. Yeah, I'm talking to you. The Second Amendment reads, A well-regulated militia being necessary to the security of a free state, the state of the people to keep and bear arms, shall not be infringed. However, in certain states, the Second Amendment can be interpreted into three different laws, which are the Stand Your Ground Law, the Council Doctrine, and the Duty to Retreat. First, the Stand Your Ground Law is the most common, with 30 states implementing it. However, it is also the most controversial. Why? For example... Trayvon Benjamin Martin was a 17-year-old African-American teenager from Miami Gardens, Florida, who was fatally shot in Stanford, Florida by George Zimmerman. So how did the Stanier ground law come into place? After the shooting death of Martin in Florida in 2012 brought a lot of attention to so-called Stanier ground, self-defense laws, which allow armed individuals who believe they are in in imminent danger to use deadly force. The tragic situation in Florida and others like it are around the country have caused many people to question the wisdom of these laws and even to demand their repeal. Still, many individuals defend these laws, saying they are necessary up against what could be perpetrators. The senior ground law has pros and cons. Let us tell you. Again, pay attention. Yes, I am talking to you. Pro, it allows anyone to protect themselves from the commission of a crime. Pro, it can lead to a drop in crime that occurs. Pro, it requires a reasonable belief that harm will occur if actions are taken. Con, it can lead to an increase in homicides. Con, these laws give individuals unfettered power and discretion. Con, it may inspire others to take violent actions. So A, what do you think about these pros and cons? So personally, I believe that the stand your ground law is not effective at all. This law has actually no way of proving if it is stand your ground. And in the case of Trayvon Martin, I feel it was racially motivated. But however, if the restrictions for this law were more dead set, it could be used for good. But leaving this law to be interpreted to whoever, it is what the problem is. Jay, what do you think about these pros and cons? Personally, I'm on the same page as you, A. I mean, I feel like in society today, someone can just walk by another person and feel threatened, quote-unquote. It simply is not right by any means. I mean, I would understand if they were being threatened, but just for sport. I mean, I honestly feel like it's going to lead to more homicides and just high crime. So it really is just unacceptable. But we do have a politically motivated guest today. Disclaimer, the guest we are about to talk to may offend some of you listeners, but don't worry, he's got it covered. And today our first guest of this podcast is Logan Williams. So first, what is your opinion on the Second Amendment? Well, it's a constitutional amendment, so you read it as stated. It's about rail-regulated militias, you know, protecting the nation, written right after the American Revolution, in which the militias played a very large role. So it's definitely in the Constitution. cannot deny that. How do you feel about certain laws, such as stand-your-ground law or duty to retreat? So the stand-your-ground laws, much research has shown them to be really ineffective and only increases the homicide rate of the states that have been involved with it. So on paper, it looks nice. You have the duty to protect yourself instead of fleeing. However, it's mostly used as a base of justification for lethal force that's not required. Like when you look at the case of Trayvon Martin, because him and Zimmerman got in a fist fight, that was justification to enact the stand your ground laws and to use deadly force, which I believe just was not necessary. 
do you think the stand your ground laws are can be racially biased too? Uh, absolutely. Maybe not the laws themselves, but the application of it. I like to compare it to voter ID laws, which seem to make a lot of sense. You know, you need an ID to vote. But then you realize that those laws were made to target minorities and people of low socioeconomic status. See, the people who mostly own guns are typically white males, and when they get into altercations, they're more likely to use deadly force on someone who is a minority rather than someone of their own skin color. So while I do not believe the law is inherently racist, I do believe the application and use of it absolutely is. Today's podcast is brought to you by Muncie Art Farm of Melody Stater and Aaron Brensman. We're here today with Mr. Whitcliffe, English teacher. We're going to ask him a little bit about the Second Amendment. So, how do you feel about the Second Amendment? I feel that the Second Amendment is, you know, it's an important part of the Constitution, but there do need to be certain restrictions that go along with it, just like we have restrictions on any freedom that we have. You know, just like we always used to say in journalism, freedom of speech doesn't mean you can yell fire in a crowded theater. And the, the right to own a gun doesn't mean that you can carry a, an assault weapon into a school. So, you know, I mean, there are certain restrictions that need to be on what people can do with a gun. How do you feel about the Trayvon Martin case in 2012? Um, that, that, would you refresh my memory? That was the one where he was shot by the security guard. And he was, was a 17-year-old, and he was a guy felt threatened, and he just shot him. Yeah. Well, see, that's exactly what happens that when, when you have people who are who have access to firearms and probably shouldn't. I mean, I think in a situation like that, the person probably should never have had a gun. You know, maybe, maybe I think, wasn't he like a security officer? I think, and you know, maybe yeah. he hadn't been adequately background checked. I think came out later that he, he, was, he was sort of unstable mentally. So, you know, I think that has a lot to do with that. How do you feel about if we do background checks for people? How do you think we should, like, move along with who should have, like, a gun and who shouldn't? Well, I think background checks would be wonderful. I mean, you know, what we wouldn't give someone... I mean, we wouldn't hire someone to work in a school without a background check. We wouldn't hire someone, you know, to be a police officer without a background check. I mean, why should we give someone access to a gun where they could kill people without at least checking their background? I think that's reasonable. Okay, well... Thank you for the interview. Okay, Okay, now that we've talked about the Second Amendment with two of our interviewees, um, don't you think we've bored them enough with Stand Your Ground Law? Yes, let's talk about the duty to retreat law. Okay, good idea. What is the duty to retreat law? Some of you may be asking yourselves. Well, to start off, the duty to retreat law, by definition, is in its most extreme form, states that a person who is under an imminent threat of personal harm must make a reasonable effort to avoid confrontation either by de-escalation or an attempt to leave the area in which the threat is occurring. The use of deadly force should be the last option. Several states impose the duty to retreat outside of the home, but have a castle doctrine, which will be covered later on, by the way, that covers self-defense within the home. The following states have both Connecticut, Hawaii, Arkansas, Colorado, Delaware, Maine, Maryland, excluding the cities of Baltimore, Massachusetts, Minnesota, Nebraska, New Jersey, New York, and Rhode Island. Wow, that sure is a lot of states, don't you think, A? But did you know that the duty to retreat is not universal? However, police officers are not required to retreat when acting in the line of duty. Actually, I did know that, but that does not make sense in any way. But do you want to know how the duty of retreat law became the stand your ground law? Yes, I'm dying to know. Well, not actually dying, but you know what I mean, right? Yes, I know what you mean, but let me tell you. So we talked about the Trayvon Martin case already, but hear me out. 
Zimmerman, who shot and killed Martin, claims self-defense. But many observers can't understand how a grown man with a gun can plausibly claim that when he was forced to kill a teenager armed only with a bag of candy. If that's the law of self-defense in Florida and elsewhere, these obligations, these observers argues that the laws need to change. The basic idea of duty to retreat is pretty simple. Do you want to know? Well, duh. The basic idea was that if more people backed down, retreated, or stepped aside, fewer people would be killed. The duty to retreat, in quotations, also made it easier for prosecutors to prove that a killing was not in self-defense. The facts that can be proven are often murky, particularly when the two people who know what happened, one is the defendant and the other is dead. And prosecutors could often, by pointing to a defendant's failure to retreat, obtain a conviction even if establishing the precise facts. Yeah, that totally makes sense. But did you know that in American jurisdictions there has been... There has long been an exception to the duty to retreat called the Castle Doctrine. No, I didn't. Tell me more. As then, Judge and later U.S. Supreme Court Justice Benjamin Cardozo explained in 1914, it is not now and never has been the law that a man assail- assailed in his own dwelling is bound to retreat. If assailed then, he may stand his ground and resist the attack. He is under no duty to take to the fields and the highways a fugitive from his own home. Okay, but what is the Castle Doctrine? Okay, so the Castle Doctrine applies to your home, vehicle, or business. Laws vary based on your location, but Castle Doctrine allows a person to use deadly force should he or she feel there is an immediate threat of death or great bodily harm. Each state has its own version of the doctrine, and some offer greater legal protection when confronting intruders than others do and places that have adopted a broad version of the castle doctrine you have the right to use deadly force against almost any person who has broken into your home other states take a narrower narrow approach by for instance res- requiring evidence that the intru- intruder was attempting to commit a felony in some states your workplace and occupied vehicle are deemed part your castle in quotations that is, you can use deadly force against intruders in those places as if they'd broken into your home. That is some interesting information. But what is the difference between the Castle Doctrine and the Stand Your Ground Doctrine? Okay, so the Castle Doctrine laws do not require a duty to retreat from your home. And Stand Your Ground laws do not require a duty to retreat from public places. If your state has adopted the Castle Doctrine and you catch a home intruder, you can run away or stand and fight. The choice is yours. If you live in a stand-your-ground state, you have the same choice you ha- you, ha- you happen upon a mugging or you think you're about to be mugged yourself. The most important question is you need to answer is, where do I have to have a duty to retreat? I would love to tell you more about these, about these laws and so on, but unfortunately, our time has ran out. Jay, you want to close it out with me or not? Actually, sure. Why not? Thank, Thank you, guys you guys for listening to, to this episode of Behind the Second, Second Amendment on Government, Government Wave with J&A. Peace. Peace.